Hey, turn, turn me in your device or your Bible, whichever you have, to Esther. We've been working our way through that. As I mentioned, that was the theme of the conference scene I went to was for such a time as this, which is a, a phrase out of the book of Esther. We'll be, we'll be getting there next week. There are just several things that uh, just resonated with, with me as we were there, several of the different speakers coming on that theme of things for where Cottage Hill is and kind of where, where we are as a body that I felt like we, would be good for us to come back and circle around on. So I called this series when we started it, Invisible God in a Visible Mess. Um, but then this week, just as I kept studying and these things that we've been through, I've kind of changed it. I don't know if you're allowed to change a series midway through, but I'm calling it When God is Visibly Invisible. Because that's what we're really finding is that he's there. It's just nobody, nobody happened to see him at the moment. And that's, that's one of the things people wrestled with about the book of Esther, as we've been saying, is that, did it even belong in the Bible? The name of God doesn't show up ever. None of his names show up. Nobody prays. There's, there's hinting that they're praying. There's, nobody's worshiping. It's just people are just trying to survive through the book of Esther. And, and God plays a key role in that. So in some ways, he's very invisible, like, like some of us have wrestled through different seasons. God, you know, I know you're always there. I know you never leave me or forsake me. I know you've begun a good work in me. You're going to carry it in completion. But where are you? You know, those are your promises. But where are you in this mess that life has become? And some of you, that's, that's still the season that you're in. And others of you, you've come in and out or you're, you're waiting for those. So it just felt like they were, it was good for us to come in into that. We've seen that Esther, it's really, it's a storyline. You've got this story thread going through it, but it's like you get all these snapshots that you put together and then you get the story. Like you've got this random thing that goes on in chapter one where this king throws this huge party, his wife embarrasses him, and so he gets rid of her. And if you're Jewish and you're living in the Persian city, that doesn't even affect your life. And so why is that even in your Bible? Except that one of the things we saw coming out of that is that every story is a part of God's story, you know, and other people's stories in a large way can become part of your story. I mean, isn't that what relationships do is they put our stories together or they allow someone's, someone else's story to spill over to ours. And so, yeah, it didn't affect Esther in chapter one, but man, did it affect her as that story rolled out. So things you see going on around you or in other people's lives, boy, that story, and sometimes we wrestle with, why should I care? You know, really, it doesn't affect me. A lot of times those things roll out and they do become part of your story. So then the king needs a new queen. He, you know, like a lot of us men, he makes this rash decision, and then after a while he regrets it, except he's the king, and so they come up with this terrible plan Really, we saw last week in Esther chapter 2, the king is lonely. And so it's his young men that say to him, well, why don't you just collect girls and find out which girl is the best girl to be the queen? And so they have this, this massive gathering of, of girls. It says at the beginning of Esther, the, the Xerxes, Ahasuerus. I try to say that name fast because that's a tough name for me. I have an S lisp, if you've never noticed that. So Hazarus, that's just a tough one. So I try to remember what they told us in seminary. If you say it fast, everybody thinks that's how it's supposed to be pronounced. So, but he was known as Xerxes in our history books, so that's much easier. Yep. 
So Xerxes, it says, reigns over 120 provinces. And so last week I was saying, boy, if they got only even 25 girls out of every one of those 120 provinces, that's 3,000 girls, somewhere you figure between 15, 14 and 19, all together, all hoping to be queen, all taking a year of beauty treatments to be the next queen. And Esther is pulled into that. And one of the things that we noticed, in fact, it was at a uh, Route 1 uh, workshop that Annie and I went to a couple weeks ago. And one of the things you notice all through Esther is that she's taken. People take her. She's taken from, uh, from her family. She's taken into the palace. She's taken and brought into the best part of, the, of where the girls are being collected. She's taken to the king. And then after she's with the king, she's taken to the other place. Not much of her life is under her choice or her... Her, her decisions or her planning, it's all someone else's. She gets mercy because she becomes the queen. And so we saw that sometimes we feel like we're at the mercy of others, but we may be God's mercy to others. That can be a tough one to receive when the mercy you're asking God for or the relief or the leading or you know, the blessing that you're asking for turns out to be for somebody else because that's God's story. He's trying to make himself known to everyone. One of my friends posted on, on their Facebook story this week just to make, to make sure, as a challenge to us, to make sure we love everyone because everyone is worthy of loving. Isn't it what God so loved the world means? There's no asterisk there with a footnote in the bottom of people God doesn't love. You know, it's everyone. So we're going through chapter two and there she is and, and she's taken, she becomes the queen and you kind of feel like her whole life gets settled at that point. It could if, you didn't, if you're not familiar with the story of Esther, okay, she's queen. That's a good thing. She's stable. She's safe. She's, she's blessed. She's living comfortably. And she doesn't have to worry about anything life-wise anymore. She'd just be available to the king, and he's a little unpredictable, so that's a little scary. But life, life is good for her, except the book starts to, starts to unravel like a lot of times life does. It just starts to unravel, and you see that God can be visibly invisible, and life, even when, even when God is visibly invisible, because Esther and Mordecai, at the end of where we are in chapter 2, they could say, wow, God, you showed up. Who would have thought that an exile from Israel would end up being the queen of the Persian Empire? But then things do mess up. When he's visibly invisible, life can still be messed up. And so there are things that go wrong. This is, she's not just the queen, because at the beginning of where we are in chapter 2 and verse 19, it says, Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time. So they're not really sure what that means. But if you're Esther, that's not a good thing. It's, it's almost like, and I wonder, if you've been around Cottage Hill a while, you know how I wonder when I get into the Bible passages, like I wonder about who was the first husband that came up with the idea of multiple wives. And how did he sell that? You know, the idea... Honey, this, our relationship, our marriage is just so good. I was thinking about bringing in another wife. You know, then I wonder how many guys died before that took, you know, <laughs> before that caught on. So here you are, you're Esther, and you're used to this culture and used to this king, and he's got a reputation because he's already, he had a queen, but he had a harem for all these girls to go into. So you understand where your place is, but now here's a second gathering. And so that could speak to how, insecure you ought to be as the queen and you know that the the queen before you was just put aside in a moment and so 
that's still the unpredictability of your life, and that's still where, where Esther lives. Some people, they're not sure whether, the, is this the gathering of the girls that lost in chapter, you know, the beginning of the chapter? Uh, ladies, we have a queen. We appreciate all you coming. We're going to move you now over to the harem side of things. Or is this, is this a time later where the king just decided to collect more girls? That was a great idea. Let's do that again. They're not really sure where this is. But if you're Esther, it just makes you aware you're not the only one. And you're not all that special to this king. You're, fill, you're fitting a role, but you're not all, all that special. You have to hide who you really are. Because you see in verse 20, it says, Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. She didn't tell anybody she's Jewish because that's what her uncle, who'd taken care of her all her life, said to do. Make sure, whatever you do, do not tell them that you're Jewish. And so you, she's got to live under the radar or undercover or under a mask, which is how a lot of people come into church, isn't it? A lot of us came in with this sense of, boy, if you really knew all about me, if you really knew who I, who I was or what I, would, what I have done, I mean, one of the great things we love about telling people the gospel is that the gospel says it doesn't matter who you are or what you have done because all of that is covered. And you remember one person just telling me, but yeah, but you don't understand. I've, I've done this. Said, yeah, but it's paid for. One time when we have, a, when Dave Baker put together the group that became Road to Recovery, we had a couple nights of ask any Bible question. And I've, I've talked about that before. I drove home so thankful for the gospel and so burdened at how many different ways that question was asked. Are you telling me that all of my sins can be forgiven? All of them. I've done some bad things, all of them. That's the beauty of Jesus saying, it's finished. He didn't say, over to you. You know, it's done. And so, so all, all of that's taken care of. That sense that you have to live under a mask, that really should be gone when we come into this body because you're coming into a body of people who have all been forgiven, who all had things that they had done, who all, all of us who had things that we were that Jesus has taken care of, and now we're in the process of just walking that out. But Esther, she's living every day having to hide that, hide that sense of who she is. She's part of the chosen people of God. She's part of this group of people that probably about 90 years before, you know, if, they're eight, if you're 70 years in captivity and they've stayed, who've been part of that land for a long time and have been known. So she's got people who know her, but in that palace, she can't let anybody know her. So she's living with a covering. Man, I'm, I'm just hoping that that's not you. And I'm hoping that as you go through worship today and through service today, boy, you can just lay that before the Lord and say, okay, Lord, help me to just be who I am and, and where I am right now. That's the only way you're going to move to what's next. So life is very good if you're the queen, but it's also very dangerous. Do you get a sense of how ominous this is? Listen, don't let anybody know that you're Jewish. This is the second time in the chapter she's told that. See that over in verse 10? Esther had not made known her people or kindred, the same wording, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. 
That's going to become important to the story we get to next week. There's just this thread of danger that's there. That there's this thing hanging over her that's kind of ominous, that if people find out, it could get really bad for me. And so here she is. She's in a good place, but things are still messed up. They're still messed up for her life. We don't have to, we don't have to worry about that as believers because we're totally known. Do you love this verse when Jesus says to us, we talk about this and that, he says, aren't five, he's talking to people about anxiety and about worry. He says, aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies and yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth far more than many sparrows. So you don't have to worry about being under the radar, undercover, because God, he knows all of it. He knows all of it. He knows those terrible thoughts you're having before you think them. Psalm 139 says, those things that you say you wish you could take back, he knew they were coming. He knew they were coming. He knows all of that, and, and yet he loves you anyway. He accepts us anyway. So she's living in this, in this scary situation when, when life has become a mess. If you will just be, when, when life is in a mess or, or when it's gotten un, you know, unexplainable like her life has been, if you will just be who you were supposed to be, if you would just be that person that you're supposed to be, wherever that might be, you're going to find out that God has a point for that. If you can be who you're supposed to be, where you're supposed to be, you're going to find out that God can have you where he needs you at that moment. You know, one of the things that I, that I really appreciate about the book of Esther, you keep getting these phrases that you just read over and they're just there. They don't really seem like they have any significance. And then you find out they have a lot of significance. Like it says in verse 19, the, second, the virgins were gathered the second time, comma, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Okay, all right, so he's sitting at the gate, and they're, but they're getting virgins together, and then you find out this becomes hugely significant. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, now that seems to become a little more significant. Big Than and Teresh two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold became angry and sought to lay hands on King Hazarus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai. And he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. And when the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. And again, it finishes out with this thing of, okay, all right, so they wrote it down. See, when God is visibly invisible, if you will just continue to be who you're supposed to be, then you're going to find out that God has you right where he needs you. If you can still allow that to be about, not just about you, it, but if your life can be wide enough to be lived for other people. It's hard to know. It, it's hard to know who's supposed to be where. Is this really where Esther's supposed to be? She's supposed to be married to this pagan king who likes to collect women? Is this really where Mordecai is supposed to be? He's a, Jewish, he's a Jewish man, but he's now in leadership in a pagan empire, in a pagan ruling world empire. Because when you sat at the gate in, in that culture, in that time, the gate is where the courts really were. That's where you would go for justice. The, the gate is where business would be transacted. When Boaz decides he wants to marry Ruth, he goes to the city gate where the elders were sitting and negotiated that out. So if you are sitting at the gate, that's a place of significance, and, and that's, a place, that's a place of authority. In fact, the Proverbs, when it talks about this, this wonderful wife in Proverbs 31, it talks about her husband. It says, her husband is known in the gates 
when he sits among the elders of the land. That's where you would be if you were a, a leader of the city for Mordecai. He's either a leader in the city or he's a leader in the empire. But he's there and God has somehow arranged for him to be where God needs him to be. Again, one of the things all the way through the book of Esther is can you be willing to live your life for someone else and not for yourself? But find out that in living for someone else and not for yourself, you get the life that you really wanted. Isn't that what Jesus said? If you lay down your life, you'll find it. You know, so you're just seeing the Old Testament version of that. They're not even where they're supposed to be. And God is, is using them. We saw that in chapter 1. The book of Esther takes place after the people of Israel were so rebellious that God took them out of the land. He brought them up to what was Babylon. And then the Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire conquered Babylon. And, and then after 70 years, which Jeremiah said, that's how long they'd be punished. Everybody was supposed to go back home to Israel. Come back and we'll reset and we'll restart this thing over. But life was pretty good, and they were pretty comfortable, and they were pretty used to life and things in, in Persia. And so a lot of them stayed. So they're not even supposed to be there. And that was something that, was something that we found out uh, in chapter 1, that God can still use you even when you're not where you're supposed to be. You know, those, those of you that live with regret, the sense of, boy, I'm not, I shouldn't have even done this. I shouldn't even be here. I shouldn't. God can step into the middle of that and just take his plan to the next level. So here's Mordecai. He's, he's in a land that he shouldn't be in, but he's been brought to a place of prominence for a moment when God would need him. In a moment, if he's willing, that well, it's going to set up another moment. Because Mordecai's where he is, he hears, he hears this thing that's going on. He hears these two eunuchs, Big Fem and Teresh, they guard the, they guard the threshold. That means they, they really are in charge of the king's private residence. They guard the threshold into where you go from the gate into the king's area. So they have, they have access to the king. And so it says they get angry, they want to lay hands on them. They, they just want to, they want to kill the king. Somebody wrote, maybe they were just really tied to Vashti, the first queen. Maybe they're still upset because Vashti is gone. And they, resent the, they resent the fact that a commoner has been made the queen. Who knows why, but for whatever reason, they want to kill the king. And that, whether Mordecai hears them talking about it or that just becomes the, the palace gossip, whatever that is, that gets to Mordecai. It's interesting eventually Hazareth, Xerxes, he's going to be killed. He's going to be, and the eunuchs who guard the gate, who guard the threshold to his place, are going to allow his military commander in. And that military commander is going to go in and assassinate the king. So it's kind of significant that at this point, that gets stopped because Mordecai is where he needs to be. He's who he needs to be. He's not, he's not resentful about the fact that, what do I care about this king? He's a pagan king. Maybe things will work out better for me if I, if I get to Maybe things would be better for Esther if the king is killed. He's just in his, where he needs to be, and, he, and he, he just does what needs to be done. And so because he, he's who he was, he's where he is. See, because he's at the gate, it's his life that caught someone's attention to give him that place of, of honor. Because he was who he was, he's where he is. You get recognized. Because of who Esther is and what she is, she's where she needs to be. See, so Mordecai ends up at the gate. He hears this rumor. 
he goes and he tells Esther, who's in the palace. Because of the person that Esther was, she's beautiful, and that's, that's on God's side. That's not on her side. But she's, she's beautiful, seems in and out, because you can be beautiful and, and turn a guy off. You know, you can be beautiful and turn a king off. So she has, it seems like she's got the whole package. Who she is has put her where she is. Some of that's on her, some of that's on God. And because she's where she is, she has access to the king and can prevent this assassination. Do you see how those dominoes, they just go? But the dominoes started because they were willing to be who it was they needed to be in a place they didn't want to be so that God could have them in a place that he needed them to be. Do you see how that just plays out in the book of Esther? And why you feel like you're getting these snapshots of things that don't relate, that suddenly tie together in this story that God is, that God is putting together? And those things... They just, they just saw and heard what they heard and acted on it. That's why it's so important for you to respond to those promptings you get, to say something to someone or to call someone or to email someone, you know, those, that phrase that you hear from people that really blesses you. Hey, God put, me on your, God put you on my heart. What's going on? Or I just felt like I should do this. When you get a prompting like that, you need to do that because that's God just continuing to carry this whole thing out that you see playing out in, in the book of Esther. You just have to believe that those things you get, those encounters you have, that job you have right now that you don't enjoy maybe all the, that much or you don't even know how God is using you there, that he's got you there. He has placed you there. And he's placed you there because he needs you there for this larger story, this, this thing that we keep seeing through this, that every story is part of God's story. And your story is connected to other people's stories, but ultimately it's part of this story that God is playing out and what it is that he's trying to do, which really starts to come to the forefront as we'll see it next, next week uh, when we come back around to, to Esther. That he's, that he's going to have you there if you can be at peace with that. Some of you, you're just praying so hard that God would change where you're at maybe in the relationship you're at, or maybe work or health, whatever that is, you're just asking him so hard to change where uh, you're at that you're missing why he needs you there. Where this plays out, this plays out in, in real for them. So then it goes on, and, and there is this moment where, where Mordecai acts on that. I wanted to circle back around to that, that when God is visibly invisible, you're not sure where he is, you're not sure what he's doing, you Sometimes you're wrestling with, is he doing anything? He can use you if you're willing. If you're willing. Because you can be exactly where God needs you, but not be willing to do what he wants to do. I mean, look, Jonah is exactly where God needs him. Jonah's in, in Israel, and he's a, he's a prophet, and God wants him to bring a message of judgment, ultimately, to the city of Nineveh. But Joseph's not, uh, Jacob, Jonah, I'll get the right, Jay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's just not willing. And so he takes off in the other direction. And, and you have that through scripture. You'll have people debating God. Uh, but do you, know, do you know why this is? The disciples come back in John 4. You have this amazing conversation Jesus has with a Samaritan woman. And the disciples come back and their question isn't how did it go? It's what, what are you talking to her for? Why are you doing that? We would never talk to her. We would, in fact, we would never come this way. You know, if you're willing... He will show up and use you if you're willing. 
So, so as you're saying, Mordecai's here. He's in this pagan empire that deserves to be judged, and this king probably deserves to die. And so if they're doing that, that must be God's will that they smother him to death or that they kill him or whatever they do to him. But Mordecai, he just understands where he is. What am I doing here? What am I doing here as a Jewish guy in the gate, in the judicial system or the political system of this empire? That's got to be God. And so if it's got to be God that I'm here, then I'm willing to do whatever it is God wants me to do. You know? If you read the scriptures, watch for people that just, they don't feel like people deserve what God is giving to them. So there's that sense that I'm I'm willing to do this. One thing that somebody pointed out about Esther is that she is unchanged by becoming queen. You know, you have friends and so do I, they get this position and all of a sudden they're different. It's like all of a sudden they're better than you or, or however that goes. So in chapter, in, in verse 10 we saw, she hadn't made known her people because, Esther, because Mordecai commanded her not to do that. Now she becomes queen. Now she's not living in Mordecai's house anymore. And now, you know, he's not, he's not over her. She's, she tells people what to do. She's got servants. She's got some authority. But yet in verse, it tells us that... Uh, where we're reading verse 20, she might not known her kindred or people as Mordecai had commanded her because Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. That being queen didn't change Esther. She still had that availability and that submissiveness to Mordecai that she'd always had. She recognized, boy, this is the, this is the uncle who God brought in my life to save my life when her parents were killed, who's given me direction, who's guided me. And, and here at this point in her life, she's still willing to hear from him. She's unchanged. She kept herself unchanged. That's something we all have to do periodically, I think, isn't it? We have to step back and make sure we're not being changed. If you work in a, and if you work in a hard environment, you have to make sure you're not getting hard. You know, if, if you're working in a shop or factory setting, you have to make sure you're not, you're not speaking the language in, of the factory or telling the jokes of the factory or coming up with the values in the factory if you're part of the system. And you have to make sure you're not, you're not drawn in to believe that the system is the solution to everything. We have to make sure, and you have to step back and check, and you have to put that open before the Holy Spirit. Make sure, Holy Spirit, that I am not changed. Make sure that I don't feel like I know the Bible now that I've done this a bunch of years. You know, make sure I know that this is fresh stuff that you want to show me week to week. And make sure, make sure I never forget that this is you and that if any moment you decide, you can just let me, you know, you can let me flop. Because that's what I would do without, that's what we would all do without him. She doesn't change. You know, she's who she needed to be, so she's where she needed to be. She's where she needs to be, so God can use her. And she's willing to be used. She's willing to be used. Maybe, maybe some of us even need to hear that on, because you've, you've done, and you've done, and you've done. And you feel like now you're done. <laughs> but they, there's places, things that God still needs to use you in if you're willing. If you're willing. So then, then there's this phrase, like I was saying, there's phrases all through Esther that just don't seem to matter very much. The very last phrase, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. 
Okay, so they wrote it down, which they would do. The rulers of that era of world history, they would write down all the things that happened. They'd keep a record of things and cuneiforms they're called. Sometimes they're on stone. A lot of times they're on stone. In fact, one thing I was reading this week said they, they know that this is a historical account because they have found the name Mordecai in some of the Persian, Persian stones that have been left for us. And so this assassination plot happens. They find out about it. it. It gets written down. It's important enough for them to write it down. And they write it down. And what's unusual about that is the history says the Persian kings, they were really good at rewarding people. They were very faithful at rewarding people for things that were done. And so, you know, who hasn't been there where you do something and you're just expecting something? but you can't look like you're expecting something because that would really be impolite. But you are. Who hasn't been there? You know, those things. Especially as kids, we do that. Didn't you? You did things as a kid. You cleaned your room. You cleaned the house. You know, I've always mentioned that was our go-to. My three brothers and I, man, if you, did, you, if you had really crossed the line, you just cleaned the house. <laughs> Which I now realize, you know, here's my mom walking in on four boys who've been left alone for a couple hours, and they meet her at the door telling her they'd clean the house. What a giveaway. What a giveaway. You know, you talk about numb. You should, we should have just acted nonchalant because she would have noticed. But she did notice and, yep, it was rewarded. How do we say that? You know, <laughs> we got what, was, what we, was coming. Yeah, but the Persians, they would reward people. But you don't find that here. They wrote it down. And then the next, the next phrase and the next verse is after these things, after it went on. So Mordecai... He's, he's been in this empire long enough to know how things work. And he doesn't do it for the reward. He does it because it's the right thing to do. But who doesn't do the right thing and yet have in their mind that God is going to honor this? And so here he is yet invisible again because nothing happens to him. Nothing happens to him. So he becomes visibly invisible. But you have to believe that he's keeping track. You have to believe that he's keeping track. If he has the hairs on your head numbered, then certainly he has everything that you're doing and that's being done to you numbered. And, and, and he's aware of all of those things. Remember Jesus said one time, listen, a pharaoh, a pharaoh doesn't fall out of the nest without the father knowing that. So he knows what's going on. And he's fair and he rewards. He, for, so, so for Mordecai, not for him. You know, he took a chance and for him it paid off, except it didn't really pay off. It paid off in that the king survives, but for him, nothing really. And so what does he do with that? Well, I'm not, I'm not going to do that again, because he has put himself at risk. What if there were other people at the gate, and there probably were other people at the gate, that were hoping the king would, would be killed? And Mordecai's taken a side here. And, and you know what that's like in, in your workplaces sometimes. You take a side and they're, they're just different sides, and so there's feelings. And so that doesn't go away when a decision is made. That lasts. We're going to see how that kind of plays out going forward in, in the book of Esther. So he's taking a chance, and it's paid off, but he might pay for it now that things go on. And yet, so nothing's happened to done. If you do what needs to be done in this situation and with the people in front of you, you are going to be acknowledged and rewarded. You have to just hang on to that. Whether that's in your family, whether that's trying to share Jesus at work, whether that's serving here, whether that's trying to walk with somebody in, in their following Jesus and 
you wonder, okay, how is that coming back to me? How is God honoring there? How is he blessing me? You have to believe that God is tracking that and he's going to reward you or you're going to give up or you're going to somehow believe the lie that Satan's going to try to drop on you that God, he just isn't fair or he just isn't as interested in you as he is in other people or that you really, what you're doing really isn't that significant to God. All of those lies have power over us if we don't believe that God is really tracking things and going to reward them. So, so look at what the scriptures say when they speak to us about that. At the end of Corinthians, a church that really frustrated Paul, a church that couldn't, just couldn't get it right, he says, therefore, my, brother, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, knowing that you know that you know that your labor is not in, labor in, in the Lord is not in vain. You just keep working knowing that this is not in vain. I don't see anything happening. You just keep going because you know that God is tracking that and even if nothing happens now, you're part of God's larger story. You know, I mentioned that. I, I read or heard one time that this, missionary, this generation of missionaries who went to South America in whatever the 30s and 40s and 50s, the, the missionaries that went in the 70s and 80s and 90s and saw the church explode in South America, they know that they were reaping the fruit of that generation before them. And what did they do? They stayed steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that their labor wasn't in vain, knowing that they might not see it, but that it wasn't in vain. So you just keep going, knowing that God's going to reward. Or in Galatians, it says, and let's not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up in due season. It's just that God gets to decide what the season is. He gets to decide when. Isn't that, isn't that something we wrestle with that word when? When is something good going to happen? Or when is this thing going to change? Or you read through the Psalms. It's been something people have wrestled with for a long time. You're going to find that phrase, how long, in the book of Psalms. How much longer? One Psalm, how much longer do I cry every night and you don't hear me? And in heaven, they're saying, we do hear you, and we got a plan. So you just, keep, you just keep moving forward. You may not be rewarded in the time that you want, but God, he always rewards. He's always tracking what's, what's going to happen. Remember, he says, Jesus says at one point, he, they, they, take, they take note of, even if you give a glass of water in Jesus' name, they mark that down. I mean, if the Persians would record everything that was happening, how much more does heaven? You know, those things you do and, and nobody sees it, they take note of that. Those things you do that are very public, they take note of not only that you did that, but how you did that, to, you know, to make sure that really was for him and, and not for me, not for you. They're tracking it all. See, when God is visibly invisible and you're not sure that you see him or you're convinced you don't see him, you have to believe that he's keeping track and that he's going to reward you when, when the time comes. And so here it is, and, and things go on in Mordecai's life. If you turn over to chapter 6, Esther tells us a lot of date kind of things. It'll tell you how many years later. So chapter 6, uh, as I calculated it out in the, in the chapter, chapter 6 comes five years later. Five years later, on, the, on that night, 
just this night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of the memorial deeds, the chronicles. We've seen that word, the chronicles. And they were read before the king. So he just can't sleep. There's no TV yet. And so he has them come and just think about this. Come and read me the great things that I've done. It might help me put me to sleep. You know, so, and it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigtha, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, what honor and distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's young men attended him said, well, nothing's been done for him. Okay, so five years later, king just happens to have a sleepless night. So they bring out the chronicles. They just happen to read the section where Mordecai saved his life. Just happened to. See, if you can believe that God is keeping track and that God is good and that he knows timing, then you can believe that at just the right moment, he's going he's gonna to allow you to be rewarded. He's going to allow you to experience that. I mean, you have to serve him knowing some things will just be in heaven when you're before Jesus. They'll reward you and, and they'll announce what was done. You have to be content with that, but there's, there's many times he's going to do something for you now because of that. So what would Mordecai have been thinking at that point if the king had just you know, rewarded him back in chapter 2, giving him some money, giving him better clothes or whatever. So the king says, you know, what's been done? They say nothing has been done. And in verse 4, the king says, Who, who's in the court? He hears somebody coming in. And uh, now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king. To the king. Jump down to verse 5. Uh, the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, boy, don't ever do this, but we often fall into this, isn't it? The king says, hey, what should we do to reward somebody? So right away, Haman thinks, who should be done? Haman says to himself, who would the king delight to honor more than me? So Haman gives what he'd like to happen to him. So Haman says to the king, verse 7, for the, for the man whom the king delights to honor? Let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on, on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials, and let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. He's thinking, yeah, that's what I would love to happen to me. That's Haman's thinking. And then the king said to Haman, Harry, take the robes and the horse, as you've said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate, and leave out nothing that you've mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Now, people that are laughing mostly know the, the whole story of Esther and just how ironic that is. But just for our snapshot, here's this man who for five years thought, well, that, that did nothing for me, but who five years later got this honor that probably nobody else got. They're riding him through downtown on the king's horse, wearing the king's clothes, shouting out, this is a man who, who the king wants to honor. That's pretty good. He, and probably better than anything he would have got five years ago. So when God is visibly invisible to you, you just keep believing that he's tracking 
what you're doing and that he's going to reward it. It's going to be worthwhile. Nobody, none of us is going to be in heaven with this sense of, what did you get? Yeah, I only got, I only got this crown. You know, it's only this big. It's not going to be like on Christmas when you did that as kids. What did you get? I got two socks, you know. <laughs> Nobody's going to be in heaven like that. Because the reality is, we're going to be in heaven. That's going to be enough for us. This whole idea that God needs to reward me for this, that moves beyond grace. Because grace tells us we're saved. We're in the family. We're going to be in the kingdom. Just being in the family is enough. Isn't that how the prodigal son went back home? Father, just let me be a servant. I'm okay with just being a servant because of what I've done. And then just the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of our father. No, you're coming back as a son, and that's how I'm going to treat you. So be careful in this whole thing of this better be worth it. This, you know, this reward better be good for me. We don't put it in those kind of words. We do wrestle with this better be worth it because what God has done for you already has made it worth it. Even if there's, nothing, if there's nothing more, it's worth it. We've got eternity settled. We've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us to get us through whatever. We have the heart of God leading us. That's enough. But then he tells us that he's going to reward us. And he tells us that he's tracking these things that are good. And he's telling us that it's not in vain. And so when he's invisible, those are the things you've got to latch on to. This is not in vain. This is not for nothing. This is going to pay off. You know, all of us have areas of our life where we're wrestling with that and where we need to know that and where we need to, to hang on to that. Mordecai hangs on to that and then he gets this amazing reward and he, and he moves on he moves on to something that's even greater. So here's Esther. You know, when God is visibly invisible, you find out, boy, is he, is he visible? Just if people allow him to show up when he wants and if, if people allow their lives to be part of someone else's life, they allow their, their story to be part of someone else's story because they believe that it's part of God's larger story. Amen. That's really where you have to wrestle today. Am I surrendered to God's larger story? And am I on track with this larger story? Have I gotten rid of the things in my life that are hindering God from using me in his story? And have I surrendered to following him to where it is he's trying to take me into the story? Am I, you know, am I where I'm willing, am I willing to be where I am even if it's not where I want to be? Am I willing to be who I am even in that place? Am I willing to, to do what I'm supposed to do, even if it doesn't look like it's going to advance me or if it's going to be good for me or if it's going to help me? It will take you to a moment where you find God uses you. Those moments are so special. Those moments are so worth waiting for. Those moments are so worth getting ready for when that sense that, wow, this was God's story. This was what God wanted to do. This is where God showed up. I just, I want to have those moments. I want you to have those moments. So pray with me, yeah. Father, yeah, first of all, I feel like I get to just say forgive me, forgive us for really getting kind of drawn up in that reward thinking. This better, you better make this worth it, God. Really, I just want to come back to the place with what you've done so far 
what you've allowed me to be involved in so far, that's been so good, it's, it's enough. And yet your promise is there's, so, there's good with every day. So help us to walk in that. Lord, I, I just want to pray again over the brothers and sisters. From this is a, it is a season when you seem invisible, when you're hard to find, or when the circumstances don't seem to point to you at all. And I, I pray they be able to receive this word from this, very, this place very far away from, from where you were working at the time. I pray you'd, you'd enable them to, to walk with you and be who it is they're supposed to be right now. I pray that you would just give them peace in a place where they don't want to be right now. I pray, God, that you give enough resolve that they'd receive resolve and wisdom and strength from you to, to do what needs to be done, even if it's not something they want to do or even if it's not something that seems like it's going to benefit them at all. God, I pray that there just be a surrender to what it is you're doing, believing that you're taking note of that, that you're rewarding it, but also that they're celebrating that in heaven. They're celebrating these things because they lift up the name of Jesus. So give us clarity, Father. Use us for part of that larger story of what you're doing, even this week. So Wednesday night, Sunday, when we come back, we have the sense that we have been part of the story. So that's what we pray to your glory. Yeah, amen.